You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Welcome to episode 1201, and uh, I am super excited to have Jeffrey Deaver on the show with me today. Uh, Jeff, one of my all-time favorite writers, and Jeff Deaver has uh, has created one of those um, series characters that we love to revisit every chance we get. And that is Lincoln Rhyme. And, uh, you know, if you have been reading thrillers or if you've been awake, you know, for the last couple of decades, Lincoln <laughs> Rhyme is probably on your bookshelf somewhere. And he is back with the brand new book, The Midnight Lock, uh, a Lincoln Rhyme novel. I love it. I I can't wait to give this as Christmas gifts to folks on my uh, on my Christmas list this year, the readers that that uh, love a great story. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Hank. I always look forward to our conversation. I I sure do too, and uh, and I look forward to a new Jeffrey Deaver book every, every you know at least every year. Uh, hopefully, a couple of times a year. Um, Lincoln Rhyme is back. Uh, you know, um, when when we when we talked last, Jeff, you had a new uh, book in the Shaw series, and you know, as as a writer, I understand, especially when. Um, when you're writing a series character, the need to step away from that character for a little bit and let your brain focus on on new characters and new situations and mm-hmm. maybe things that that you wouldn't normally get to do with with a particular character. Um, stepping away from Lincoln Rhyme for a bit, coming back to to him and the crew. Uh, what does that do for you as a creative person to get to step away, focus on something completely new? but then come back to that familiar territory. Well, sure, Hank. It, it, it uh, is just as you suggest. Um, I, I've never, I've been very fortunate. I've never experienced burnout. I love to write. I write every day, have written almost every day for the last 30 years or so, uh, full-time. I, I've written books for 40 years, but uh, full-time, never burn out on it. But uh, <clears throat> it certainly is good to get a different um Perspective, just kind of step back and let the ideas uh, percolate. Sometimes you can't rush stories. Um, I had the idea for the Midnight Lock a a while ago, but I wanted to give it a little time. Uh, When I teach my courses in writing, I tell my students, never rush in this business. Don't rush to get the book finished, even though you want to. Don't rush to sell the book. If it takes uh, five years to sell it, then it takes five years. But don't settle for a publisher you're not happy with. Well, long way of saying that I uh, I set the uh, Lincoln Rhyme uh, books aside, uh, went to Coulter Shaw, the three books there, The Never Game, The Goodbye Man, and The Final Twist. And I did that also because <clears throat> I look at myself as a manufacturer of a product. And you know, some I've said that, and some authors say, oh my God, what are you talking about? No, we're authors. Well, yeah, but Procter & Gamble is creative in making the toothpaste. We're creative in making our our books. And, you know, I would look at my audience out there and uh, some people 
the majority of my readers liked Lincoln Rhyme, but they also liked some of my standalones too, and were not that crazy about Lincoln Rhyme. So I created a different sort of hero that was the antithesis of Lincoln. Coulter Shaw is an itinerant fellow who travels around the country looking for rewards. And he's kind of your classic modern day gunslinger, the stranger who comes to town. Uh, very different from Lincoln Rhyme. Coulter Shaw doesn't use evidence. Uh, he uses his knowledge of people and psychology to find uh, the, the bad guy or uh, recover the missing person. Um, but now it's time to get back to Lincoln Rhyme who satisfies that other audience out there, the ones who like Lincoln as a hero, the thinking person, the forensic scientist, the police procedural man. And Jeff, I know that that you are a, a very plot-driven uh, writer, and, and that is not to say that you don't have characters that we love, because you and I have had this conversation before. You can have the greatest plot in the world, but if readers don't care about the characters, then... Um, you know, what, what have you done? You know, you can you can pull that off for one book, maybe, um, but people aren't going to be especially interested to, to come back. So um, you you have this well-defined cast of characters. Um, but a, as someone who is very plot driven, um, you, you know, and, and the, the cliche question about, you know, where to where to plot ideas come from and, and book ideas. And, you know, that that question is is kind of worn out and tired. But. Um, the, with a book like the midnight lock, it, it seems to me on, on the reader end of this, you know, I, I could just imagine, uh, Jeff Deaver just going, um, just all in on locks and, and, you know, the, <laughs> the technology of it and, and all of that. And then, you know, when you are about as deep in locksmithing as you can get, does, does a, uh, does an idea kind of present itself that, or, or do you go into it? Like, uh, I have a plot. It's going to revolve around someone who is fascinated with locks and, and this comes, and then the, you know, in the research, the plot sort of presents itself. Like, um, do you, I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you have something in mind, go research it, or does, does a plot just sort of present itself in things that you are naturally fascinated with? Sure. I, um, <clears throat> I generally come up with, <clears throat> with the rough plot and then uh, we'll uh, start the research. <clears throat> but the research does inform the plot. I mean, it will shift a little bit while I'm doing the research. But generally, I kind of know where the story is going to go. And in the, um, uh, the Midnight Lock, I, and I knew nothing about locks before I, I started to research the book, uh, I actually came on the idea because I was locked out of my house and I, I saw a locksmith get into the house in just seconds. And I thought, well, that'd be a great idea for a book if I have a, you know, psychotic uh, individual who who has studied lock picking and then breaks into the uh, uh, somebody's house and he, in the midnight lock, he he doesn't kill anybody. You think he's a serial killer? No, I'm tired of serial killers. You know, we see serial killer books and movies all the time. If if an alien came down from the planet Xantar and started to read crime thrillers, you know, he'd think, oh no, there's just too many serial killers here. I'm going back home where it's safe. Uh, but he just, he moves things around and then he leaves again, doesn't even touch anybody. And so, um, uh, but there's something more going on, of course, and we can talk about that, that later, but that gave me the idea for the book. And uh, then I did a huge amount of research <clears throat> and I have to tell you, seeing this lock pick and then reading about uh, picking locks, I thought, well, you know, I really ought to try it myself. So I know what I'm writing about. And so I bought a set of 
lockpicks, which are legal, at least where I live, anybody out there, check your local jurisdiction, but I probably imagine they're safe. And I tried. And let's say after two and a half hours and uh, a bit of frustration and some words, I, I'm not proud I said, uh, I, I gave up. But at least I kind of got a sense of what it was, what it was like. And uh, so that was all in with the research. But then the final draft of the book, or the first draft of the book was about 100 pages longer than the final draft because I put too much information in. I fell in love with the topic and then um, realized it's not helping the plot. So I had to cut it out. We talked about, you know, building this cast of characters that readers care about. And, and that is absolutely imperative for your protagonist um but it's equally as important for your antagonist and uh especially in a thriller um like you write not only do we have to care about the the good guys air quotes um but we kind of need to at least understand the motivation of the the bad guys again air quotes um sure. Tell me a little bit about the process of creating villains and because you do it so well, they, they don't seem like, you know, cardboard caricature cutouts. They they seem to be, um, you know, fully realized characters of their own. And even though we don't agree with their motivations, we can kind of see where these people are coming from. Uh, that's that's absolutely true, Hank. I, I heard the story. Uh, this was a, a fellow author. I wish I could take credit for it because it's such a brilliant phrase. But um, this person was talking about storytelling and talked about the, uh, uh, you know, his his hero. But then he turned to the villain and he said, well, you, you have to understand that the villain is the hero of his own story. And while, as you point out, we don't necessarily want the villain to prevail, we kind of understand that he's going to be really disappointed if he if he doesn't succeed in the who knows what it is the assassination the planting the bomb the stealing the gold from the mint uh, he's going to be diminished by that and that should diminish us a little bit too because uh, in my books at least I want them to be a hundred percent emotional connection with every character in there aside from the delivery men and things like that so um, I work really hard to craft the villains now <clears throat> excuse me the um, um, the heroes, we love our heroes. I love Lincoln Rhyme. I love Amelia Sachs. I love Coulter Shaw. I love Catherine Dance, all my other heroes. But if you ask a, a thriller writer, what's the favorite character he or she loves to create? They're going to say, well, don't tell anybody this, but it's the villain. Because we can let our imaginations run wild with that. And uh, in this book, I did something quite interesting because the the villain is formed by certain forces out there. And all I'll say is there, the internet is largely involved in this. And he would be a different person if he lived in a different era and the internet were not, not around. Um, but so what I did was I wrote from his point of view, which was pretty tricky to do because his identity is a, a surprise. So I had to have him do things that matched the clues that Lincoln and Amelia were finding, but that might, might lead to several different people because I wanted to keep his identity secret, as I say. But more important, I wanted to get into his mind so that uh, the the readers could understand where he was coming from and not not 
hope he prevailed, but at least could step into his shoes and see how he had been formed by this, you know, this incredible modern day phenomenon that is allowing us to have a conversation right now. And that allowed me to research the books and allows me to email back to my fans who sent a, uh, 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 you know, sent me a question or offered some uh, advice or praise. Uh, and that, that really, I think, uh, solidified in the reader's minds who this character was. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. I've seen people ask questions before, Jeff, um, uh, like if you could have any one superpower, what would that superpower be? And uh, invariably you see a lot of people say that they wish they could be invisible um, so that you could slip in undetected. You could um, you know, see what people are really up to when they don't know that you're there and then slip out, uh, you know, or if in uncomfortable situations, you can just not be there or, um, you know, there's something inside us that uh, that that loves the idea of anonymity. Um, mm-hmm. One, the, the lock picker is uh, kind of has some of that power uh, of his own that uh, he can slip in when uh, it, you know, and, and we put so much um, faith in 
in uh, door locks and, and things like that, that, uh, you know, we, we don't even really consider the, you know, how strong a door is. It's locked. You know, no one can get in here. Well, what if someone can get in there and they can just, you know, manipulate that lock and just walk in and, uh, you know, that would really upset our sense of security uh, that we have. Is that some of the psychology that you were kind of playing against uh, in the Midnight Walk? Oh, I, I was. Um, and I feel, too, that my um, my type of book, it, and it's I'm not apologetic about this at all. It's a, a genre entertainment sure. uh, story. That's that's and that's not an ugly word. No, no. It's something. Well, look, Shakespeare, he he created entertainment. Uh, you know, Beethoven wrote, you know, Beethoven was sort of the Spotify of the 19th century, and uh, this is this is what we we need in life. Uh, so there's lofty culture that's important too. You know, I read fine arts literature. Uh, that's that's certainly fine. But what we do is a little bit different. We entertain, but I also feel going for that emotional engagement with a, a story that I create. They need to be about something more. They need to be about uh, issues that are really important and that are meaningful to my readers. And in this, for instance, I mentioned the internet, the dangers of the internet, that's one, but on an even broader level, there's our, uh, I guess I'd say, our cavalier attitude about privacy. And yes, the uh, locksmith can can break in and he, he kind of actively breaks in, he has to manipulate the locks, but we are also really, really careless about allowing people and things into our lives. And I, I'm, I'm, the reason I'm hesitating a little bit is that so much of that has to do with the surprises and the twists and turns in the story. But um, um, we really uh, have a, uh, within this story, a theme of, you know, how much privacy do we really have left and how responsible are we for that lack of privacy? How many uh, uh, forms of the locksmith do we let into our lives? Do we not protect against? And, you know, it's not a, a treatise on, uh, you know, we have to be more careful about this. It's not a sociologic text, but it's an issue that I hope readers will think about maybe after they close the last page of the book. Well, it is, that's the great uh, thing about being a novelist is you get to play on these themes without explicitly, um, pointing out the theme that you're thinking about you know there we can all like you said um take more care with protecting ourselves our loved ones and not be so cavalier as you said and just putting things out there and that's one of the great things about being a novelist isn't it that you you do get to kind of paint in in shades uh and to where our story can have multiple layers of meaning and and that's what makes a story last as long as they do is that that it can uh, interpretations can change as the story ages. Oh, sure. I, I call that a hook. And I always try to uh, tell a, a story that's got a, a hook in it. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. In this um, uh, in this story, in The Midnight Lock, it, a hook is lock picking and uh, that being a metaphor for the absence of privacy. Uh, a similar hook was in my book, The Broken Window, and that was about data mining. Um, and the the dangers of data mining also akin to giving away privacy. How many uh, how much information the data miners uh, have on us? 
um, my book, um, the uh, the Bone Collector, the, the one that got got us started, uh, has to do. And even now, I know many of your your listeners have have uh, read or the the Bone Collector or, or seen the uh, the movie. But a metaphor there is how uh, the past can come back to get us in ways that we we don't expect. When something we've done in the past uh, that may not have been so good and we think we're safe and home free, well, maybe we're not. So that, that little extra thing that, that gives the book some, uh, some resonance and uh, it's not always easy to come up with that and it's also not easy to make sure it doesn't take over the story. I think Samuel Goldwyn, the uh, uh, filmmaker said, if you want to send a message, go to Western Union. <clears throat> and, um, you know, nowadays, if I say that in a course or to my, uh, you know, an audience, I get some blank stares. Uh, Western Union used to be like Twitter and Facebook. It was a way to send messages to people, uh, text messages. Uh, you had to go to a store to send it and you had to go to a store to pick up the message. But it was basically Facebook. And what he meant was uh, your book should not be about uh, soapbox lectures. They should be about uh, telling a good story that has some, you know, a little extra to it that makes people think about that theme. And and that's the important thing, is it? Isn't it that that you're you're not preaching, but you're giving uh, you're giving the reader the opportunity to find meaning in, in something. And th- does it ever surprise you that uh, maybe one of your older books, um, you know, still resonates with readers today, and and maybe they find a different interpretation of of kind of some of the subtext than than you had in mind when you wrote it oh that, well that's a very good very good question i will say um, i wrote one of the first hacker novels and it, it's called the blue nowhere i wrote it many years ago and it was so old that the um uh the hacker used a dial-up modem and I, 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 some of your listeners may not even know what that is, but it was like a server. It was like a way to get online. And you basically originally had to um, plug your uh, uh, computer into a, like a telephone. And it made a call to a router somewhere, made this crazy noise. And I would encourage your listeners who are curious to go onto YouTube and look for a modem. And it has a very distinctive uh, clattery sound a staticky sound that I'm not going to try to emulate, but it, it's 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 kind of funny. Um, but that was the first hacking book. People still come back to me and say it scared them uh, because this uh, hacker got into your life and he didn't steal your bank account. He simply learned everything there was about you and then used that information. Uh, so that does come back. As far as anyone giving me a, a story, uh, uh, giving me a, a tale about how they have uh, reinterpreted one of my books. I don't. I don't know that that's that that's happened, but it would certainly be something uh, to uh, look forward to. So, if <laughs> any of your listeners say they want to go back and look at the, some of the early books and say, "Well, did you mean this or did you mean that?" I'd, I'd really be happy to take a look at that. One of the the hallmarks of a Jeff Deaver book is that it is um, uh, it takes place over a shorter amount of time, usually uh, half a day to two days is, is typically um, how we find uh, ourselves dropped into one of your stories. Um, you know, some thrillers really um, kind of breathe uh, through time and you, you follow um, 
you know, along with the the protagonist as you know through all of the emotional ups and downs over uh, a lengthy period of time and then others like yours are almost claustrophobic at, at points where we're just left breathless in in the, uh, the we know that the clock is ticking and and that brings a whole other layer of anxiety to the story um it, do, is that something that you think about when you start planning out a novel jeff you know how am i going to compress this down to keep the stakes high or is that just a natural thing that comes out of uh, your your typical storytelling um i, I myself am, am a very impatient person and i have um have picked up, you know, fine literary novels and literary crime novels that move slowly, that are more uh, character development than they are plot driven. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, to be honest, they don't interest me that much. I want things to move along uh, quickly. And so that's the kind of book I write. And I tell my students, you know, I don't care what kind of book you like. That's the kind of book you have to write. What you enjoy reading is the kind of book that you should uh, you should write. Because that, you know, you're familiar with that style of book and you also uh, enjoy it. So write the kind of book you enjoy. And I enjoy really fast paced uh, thrillers. I, I want that um, the the emotional response on every single I was going to say every chapter, but I mean every few pages, really. <clears throat> My definition of a story is this. A story is a fictional account of living, breathing characters, both good and bad, who confront increasingly intense uh, questions and conflicts throughout the book. All of those questions and conflicts are answered and resolved in a way that's satisfactory, satisfactory to the reader at the end. Um, and th that's the way, I'm, this is not for everybody, of course, but this is the kind of book I like to write. All those questions, all those conflicts, and, uh, you know, put them on a, a roller coaster. And, uh, you know, people get satisfaction out of reading a classic murder mystery, uh, whodunit. There's no real threat. It's simply an intellectual puzzle. Those are wonderful. It's just not what I want to do. I want my readers to race through the book from start to finish uh, as quickly as they can. The, the great American uh, pulp fiction writer, Mickey Spillane in the 1950s and 60s, he wrote detective fiction. Uh, he said, people don't read books to get to the middle. We read books to get to the end. And it's our job as authors to move them from page one to the end as quickly as we can. And so a compressed time frame really, uh, really helps that. The Midnight Lock, um, Jeff, correct me, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but this is... Uh, close to or is your 40th novel? Uh, actually, it's my 45th novel. <clears throat> Fifth. Okay. I knew my math would be wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talked earlier about how, um, you know, story matter and subject have changed over the years. But um, in, in 45 novels, how has the technology of writing changed? Uh, you know, we, we know the, the basics of story can be carried out, you know, with a with a pencil and a piece of paper. But most working writers uh, have have found things that that make their lives easier. Or, um, you know, technology has certainly helped. Um, how has the technology of writing changed for you? Um, I look at myself as a, a crafts person, a professional. Um, 
look at a, a neurosurgeon and she wakes up in the morning and she's got to go into the operating suite. And what's in the operating suite? Every uh, useful instrument and tool that will help her fix the, the aneurysm or whatever, <clears throat> whatever she's uh, got to do that day. The pilot gets on the airplane and he's got all the communications uh, devices, all the redundant systems that help him fly the airplane. Why should a writer be any different? I get, um, I usually get a new computer every year. I burn through the keyboard uh, very quickly. Uh, the, the, the operating system is fine. The, the motherboard is fine. That's not the problem. The disc works okay. It's just the keyboard. I break the keyboard because I work eight, 10 hours a day and I have a rather heavy touch. So I always get um, the latest um, uh, computers. I, I check the, uh, the most helpful websites that will let me do the research. Uh, and in my my courses, I, I tell basically my students what I just explained to you, that uh, you may like writing by hand, but at some point you're going to need spell check. At some point you're going to need to uh, look at the whole manuscript and move around a paragraph one way or another to make the book better. And if anything limits you from doing that, anything that uh, is a hindrance to you improving your product, uh, that's a that's a problem. You know, we need to be as professional as the uh, other uh, individuals I just mentioned, the pilot, the neurosurgeon, the uh, attorney, um, the veterinarian. They all do state-of-the-art. We need to do the same. Is there any particular software that you like to use? I use uh, Word. Uh, I, I started on uh, something called WordStar. Uh, oh, yeah. Long ago, I did like WordPerfect uh, quite a bit. It was uh, maybe my favorite software program. But part of the publishing process is not just <clears throat> the soft, the writing software. Part of it is the um, uh, coordination with others in this business. And Word, Microsoft Word, is um, you know used by people around the world. And so that's what I've uh, I've settled on. And I find it good. I, I like. I don't do. Um, I have an Apple computer. I don't use it much because I found the, uh, I was going to say MS-DOS, that dates me, but the, uh, <laughs> let's say let's say the Windows computers um, with Word, it allows me to very easily redefine the keys uh, because I have, um, I touch type, but I also have redefined the function keys and certain combinations of keys like control alternate P uh, means, I've redefined that to do something else. And I can easily add um, the macros. That's you hit a single key and it does a function. Uh, so I just found that uh, found that easier than the Apple products. Although I use an iPhone uh, and uh, have an iPad as well. But um, uh, yeah, I do like that. And I, I will say this: uh, I, at the final stage of my uh, my book, I will listen to it uh, after I've printed it out and read it word for word while my computer reads it back to me on a program called Natural Reader. Uh, the company is that makes it is called Natural Soft. And this isn't product placement. I actually pay them. They don't pay me. But I just find it uh, find it great. You'll see all sorts of typos. Uh, and you'll see lots of uh, changes you want to make. And I would recommend it even if you're, uh, you're not a novelist, if you're writing memos for work or a, a paper for school. Listen to what you've written. It will make a big difference. I love that. Jeff, um, the, the new book is out everywhere. Now we're going to put links to it in the show notes. 
uh, of this episode where people can grab the midnight lock. Great gift idea this uh, this Christmas season. Don't uh, don't forget that. What what's uh, what's coming up next for you? Well, I'll tell you what's what's next, Hank. I'm presently working on a um, a Coulter Shaw book, the fourth. Uh, there's the Never Game, uh, the first one. That, by the way, will be a CBS TV show next year. Um, then the Goodbye Man, then the Final Twist, and uh, the next one, untitled yet, will be out in May. Coulter Shaw. After that, 2023, uh, uh, Lincoln Rhyme again. Love it, love it. I know that uh, that your website JeffreyDever.com is a great resource for all things uh jeff deaver and you've got links to all your social media there uh jeff thank you so much for taking time to come on the show we're going to send everyone to see you oh hank so much uh so so good talking to you look forward to it next year if we can you have an amazing story idea you execute the writing and editing flawlessly and now the only thing missing are readers we can help you go from author to author superhero with story origin Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves, the Jason Crane series. His body broke free of its paralysis and he stumbled forward, losing his balance. He fell down the slope towards the spot where they had been. His hand shot out unthinkingly and he grabbed the corner of the black stone bridge. Hoofbeats. Pounding hoofbeats, coming closer, coming up the road. Someone or something galloped towards him. The head of an emaciated horse burst from the gloom of the road. The rider was fumbling, out of control, without saddle or bridle, clutching at the white mane, kicking the beast across the hindquarters with his thin legs, his face a frozen mask of terror. He whipped around to look back over his shoulder. Something chased him. Something terrible. Jason spun away as the horse ran over him, spearing him through the chest with its iron-shod hooves. He was unhurt. The horse galloped upward and across the bridge, across strong timbers rough-hewn and not hold. The rider wheeled the horse about, looking back from the far shore. He was wheezing. A sloppy, white ruffle bobbed under his chin. His face was hopeful now. A familiar face, much like the one Jason saw every morning in the mirror. Something thundered up behind Jason, not with a clatter of hoofbeats, but with the teeth-rattling thunder of stone on stone. Ichabod, yes, of course, the man was Ichabod, wailed and the sound of his terror echoed across the valley. The hot breath of a horse burned the back of Jason's neck. He stood frozen, unable to turn his head to see the thing behind him. He didn't want to. This was no ordinary vision. He felt with certainty that the rider behind him, no, the horseman behind him, knew he was there. 
Ichabod kicked his horse. It reared, brayed, and would have thrown him, but for the fistfuls of its mane he clutched. Horse and rider spun in place on the far side of the bridge, disoriented. The horseman behind Jason laughed. A terrible, deep, cracking sound from all directions, like a thousand axes chopping down the woods. Jason felt searing heat as a ball of flame whipped over his shoulder. A burning jack-o'-lantern arced across the bridge. Its maniacal face spun end over end. It grinned back at Jason for an instant, spun around and crashed into Ichabod's temple, knocking him from his horse and into the dust. The pumpkin careened upwards, exploding against the trees, shooting tendrils of flame up their trunks, igniting branches and showering the world with sparks and flaming leaves. Jason recoiled, fell to his knees, and threw his arms over his face. His lungs and heart pumped wildly. They slowed. He brought his arms down. The bridge was broken again. It was over.